Welcome to the NRL Supercoach All-Stars Podcast, the very first episode for 2022. I am Barnsley, I am your host of the NRL Supercoach All-Stars Podcast. Cannot wait to get started, it's such a huge year, it feels like a massive layoff since we've had some footy, so even though we've got a few months to wait until kick-off, I'm, I'm all for it, getting in early on the Supercoach just to get your appetite wet for the season kick-off and everything started. We're going to be doing the season previews for all the teams like we always do. From a super coach perspective, going to be doing two teams on this episode. The Parramatta Eels first up, and then we're going to have the Cronulla Sharks that we're going to preview for Supercoach and NRL 2022 season. But to do that, I need someone else to help me out. And the first person on for 2022, of course, is going to be Billy. So, Billy, welcome back, mate. It's been a long off-season. I'm sure you've been doing burpees and all the fitness tests and everything else, and you're raring to go and, and all primed. Yeah, mate, just trying to get some optimism for the Eels. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're, yeah, mate, just enjoying the summer at the moment, looking forward to getting some footy back, although um, I'd kind of be happy to get a few players back. I think we've lost every single one of them, apart from a couple, but at least we've got Moses still, that's the main thing. Yeah, well, Moses will carry carry to a trophy, I'm sure, no no doubt about that. Um, <laughs> just overall super coach stuff before we get started on the Eels. Have you had much of a play around with the team picker? Because I've... I've gone through it a number of times. I jumped on there pretty much as soon as it was available because I'm a nutcase and I need to do these sort of things. And a couple of interesting points for me that stood out. Uh, one of them was that it was easily, easily the highest scoring season for Supercoach. Uh, and we saw that with some of the, the biggest players and we see that with some of the team picker prices with old Tommy Trevojevic, you know, costing you the best part of $1.25 million to have. It's very expensive for a lot of the top-line players. That's very noticeable, and it's based on last year's scoring system. Now, obviously, uh, we've got some rule changes. We don't know what the super coach changes are necessarily going to be for sure yet, but certainly for the NRL, they've peeled back some of the changes that they've put in before with the six again. So now, if you're uh, in the attacking 40, you're not going to get the six again. You're going to get a penalty, which is going to probably result in a lot more kicks at goal. Uh, and probably result in a lot better set defensive lines, potentially less points. So a few effects on it. We've also got all the COVID stuff happening at the moment. So, I mean, when I'm looking at the team picker, I'm kind of seeing all that stuff, and I also noticed that it wasn't... I didn't see a huge amount of value. Like, I know we're, we're pretty far away from team lists, so we're not going to really know doing these team previews what TLT is going to look like. We're, we're going to have, like, real good cheapies and... A number of them to fill in the gaps, but at the moment, you know, if you're just having an average amount of cheapies to a below average amount of cheapies and mids to start the year that are going to start for TLT round one, uh, you're going to have a lot of trouble because you're not going to be able to get as many guns as what you used to. So, I mean, that was my takeaway. How, how's your team picker been going? Yeah, I pretty much did it just once and I was pretty happy with it. Um, I managed to get Tom in there, although sacrificed a little bit here and there. Um, surprisingly, I think, uh, for the first time in a few years, it's pretty easy to sort of set your center three quarter with um, the guys that you know, you know are going to be there in that sort of cheap range, the, the two chooks, one gun, and a couple of bargain basement guys. So it's just more about, you know, do you or, do, do you or don't you go with sort of Tommy? Um, 
do you have one gun half? And I think pretty much everyone's going to have the sort of same forwards and hookers. It's just more around the second row. Like, what, what, do you go uh, a mix of middies or do you go sort of one gun, a couple of mid-rangers at a bench? It's, it's pretty much the same sort of uh, mould as the last couple of years still. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a bit different. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit wary. Uh, it, it could end up being similar, but I am wary that there could be reasonably large changes to, to what we're seeing. So because of that, you know, I'm, I'm really having a look at backs at the moment and seeing if I'm going to be overpaying for some guys or uh, whether there's any value there on getting some other guys or maybe putting the money elsewhere because, uh, I mean, look, do you think that maybe the attack's going to go down? Like last year was historical with the amount of attack that there was for Supercoach. Yeah, possibly somewhat, but um, from what you just said, we're basically still getting an extra six tackles inside the four. It's just that it's going to be a kick. I think most of the, most of the um, attack or the fast play the ball has probably come out of your own sort of um, 20, 30, sort of 40 when you're just trying to get over that sort of advantage line. I think once guys actually get into that sort of 20, 30 metre line inside the opposition, you don't really see that many sort of fast play the balls. It's more about sort of... Uh, the advantage line getting up there, I think it's probably a bit more structured there. So I don't think it probably affects Tommy too much. Even if he takes sort of 15, 20 points off him, he's still going to go gangbusters. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, these guys are still going to go well. Like, you're still going to want those type of guys in your side. It's just a matter of whether there's some of those guys that you go, well, you know, if they're, if they're going to score 95 last year, you know, when we look at translating that, is that going to translate 95 down to a... An 82, and you know, 82 is great, but for round one, as, as we all know, it's it's value for your dollars, and maybe that's yeah. not going to be worth it. Mate, honestly, the hardest thing, um, the hardest decisions I've had to make, well, actually, let me, re- let me rephrase that, not the hardest decisions I've had to make, but the hardest, the, the, the most difficult value I've been trying to find is looking at the, um, the, the Titans draw and the Warriors draw and thinking these are bloody brilliant, but then actually trying to find a Titan or a Warrior that you want, <laughs> that you want to take advantage of. That's the hard part. Well, yeah, and it's always that, it's always those draw conundrums for round one and how much stake that you put into it. I mean, the other thing just to go along with those scoring changes too, uh, that might happen, but you know, it's a shot in the dark. Maybe if, it is going to wind up that there's going to be less attack and we are going to have those changes to the six again where you're not going to get the six again roll-ons. We might end up having a higher base rate for the forwards again. And I say that because, you know, if you're attacking, then you're going to obviously be going to your attacking players when you've got a roll-on or when you have overlaps or when the defensive line is on the back foot. But when you're taking a kick for touch or and then taking a tap, uh, you're going to have the forwards set up for a couple of tackles at least straight up that maybe you weren't having before when you had the six again and you were spreading it or trying a little being a little bit more dynamic with the ball that we saw. So maybe, maybe there's like a, a five to ten percent increase in the forwards and, and we see a little bit of a, a forward resurgence and, and there's some value there then. Yeah, I think Junior Polo needs everything he can get. <laughs> but um <laughs> but um yeah I know what you're saying. Just thinking about that sort of rolling mall type sort of thing, um yeah, I think you're right. I think being two or three tackles into a set, you know, when defense is on their own sort of line, you got forwards sort of sitting, you know, two metres wide, sort of one post, um, six again, all of a sudden it's spreading left and then spreading right. It's, yeah, you're probably right, right. It, it is going to take some attack off, but uh, how much? 10%? Who knows? Yeah, and that's going to be the thing, how much it's going to affect things. I mean, if it's only a couple of percent on base forward stats as well, it's only going to be negligible. But I mean, the other upshot too is that if if guys are going for goal more, 
Um, there's going to be less tries, try scoring opportunities in that area, and I think there will be more goals. And then, of course, if a goal's kicked, the ball gets kicked off again back to that team, and, and lo and behold, it's the Fords taking those first three hit-ups again on the other end of the field. So there's a couple of ways it can spin around where I think the Fords can actually get their base up and where the attack for the backs can actually go down a little bit. Uh, but I, look, really interesting having a play with the team picker. I love doing it each year when, when Supercoach opens up. And I love seeing, you know, I always take a photo of my team just so I can make sure that I know that 92% of it was changed by the time I got to TLT as well. <laughs> <laughs> just about to make the same joke, mate. Always happens, doesn't it? Well, always, but it's just a bit of fun. Uh, without any pressure too, so <laughs> you can just play around with it. Look, we're going to obviously go into the Eels first because that is your team. So before I even do that, mate, how are you feeling as an Eels supporter coming into this season? Are you feeling good about your team? Do you think they're going to go well? Yeah, I'm probably a little bit more optimistic than, than last year, purely because we've got the same sort of opening run and actually knowing uh, Papa Lee's uh, output from last year, knowing that he's on one side and Madison's on the other side, he'll rotate through the middle with Junior and seeing, seeing what the, um, the, the forward acquisitions uh, did last year like RCG, so a little bit more optimistic, although still pessimistic about our outside backs and our halves. I, I don't think we have the um, the ability to win a comp, but I think we have the ability to win a couple, a couple of good games. So but if we can kick off with that early draw, um, I'd be excited for the mid-season, but it's going to have to really see some spark to see that sort of top four, mate, which is, I think which is about the peak of our achievement. Yeah, I think your range is probably four or five to eight spot. I don't see him missing the finals, really, but um, certainly you could be on the edge of finals, and it's probably going to be hard for you to finish top four. Um, yeah, I'll be happy with that. Yeah. I mean, look, if you can finish top four, it's going to be a pretty decent season for the Eels. Uh, let's have a look at the gains and losses and how the Eels shape up for this year, because 2022 brings us a new year, and we have Mitch Rain coming from the Gold Coast Titans, Bailey Simonson from the Canberra Raiders, and Tupelodu, who was a rooster, then was a manly seagull, and now has come over to the Eels as a bit of depth. Losses, though, quite a few big ones. Obviously, Blake Ferguson has, has gone for a Japanese drug trip, and he's on his way back, and he's unemployed now, probably, but he's gone. Joey Lussick, some hooker depth, gone. Uh, Will Smith, too, so you're actually pretty short in, in the hooker stake. Oldfield was released, uh, and then after that, really the big deal is that when you're looking at off-contract guys, um, which I always like to have a look at, the big name is Ryan Madison, who's off-contract, and what's going to happen with that. So maybe him being in a contract year is going to be a good thing, because last time it certainly was for him. So that's the Eels in a nutshell. When you're having a look at the draw, Billy, again, I'll, I'll reiterate for those who maybe are tuning in for the first preseason of the All-Stars podcast, I always say every year, the main thing that we're looking at draws for round one, you're really looking at the first couple months of the season. You know, it doesn't really matter... If the last eight games that a team's playing is fantastic when you're looking at round one because it's way too far away. So the Eels do have the first buy, which is important to note. But the first two months of the season, they have as good a draw as just about anybody. They really only play one legitimate top eight side, and that is the Melbourne Storm. And the other seven games, all seven of those teams could miss the top eight. Uh, all seven of those teams can definitely give up points. So they open up with the Titans. Uh, then they've got the Sharks, the Storm. The Dragons, the Titans again, the Tigers, the Knights, and the Cowboys. And I could see uh, the Cowboys, Tigers, all Dragons, all getting the wooden spoon in different variants of the season. Like All three of those sides have a legitimate claim to get the spoon this year. So that's a phenomenal first eight weeks of draw for the Eels. 
Yeah, um, I've got some notes here for later on as well, but if you, if you actually look at it really closely, when I was doing the, the numbers before, the first eight games of the season are basically an exact replica of the first eight games of the season last year. The only difference is you're basically changing two Broncos games for two Titans games and a Bulldogs game for a Cowboys game, so, which is basically like-for-like strength and weakness-wise. So there's still yep. a storm in there and the rest. So if you're banking on an Eels player to start with an easy run or a soft run or a difficult run based on what points you think they're going to score, just go on back and look at the numbers for last year because you're pretty much going to get the same averages, you would think. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I, I mean, I think that one of the things that's missed... When you're looking at the draws for round one onwards, I think one of the big things is, you know, when you're looking for your round one side, one of the things that everybody talks about is getting value. You know, whether this guy might be 10 points undervalued on his price compared to his output for a variety of reasons. One of the things that I don't think people do enough is compartmentalize that and say, okay, so for the season, player X might only be, you know, five points undervalued and that's not really making him a phenomenal buy. But... For the period of the first two months, he, he might actually be 25 points undervalued for the first two months. And that's all that really matters for you in a lot of ways for round one. So don't just, don't get too carried away with looking at the season value of a player. Really drill down and have a look what you think that the first two months of the season value of that player is going to be because it will even out. You know, you might have that player have a really shocking second half of the season, which happens with multiple players. But they they have an absolute fire two months to start the season, and that gets them their average of 75, for example, or whatever. So really important thing to look at. Um, I think that's a really good segue into the first player we're going to talk about with the Eels, Billy. So Clint Gutherson, Captain Courageous, he's got this golden first two months coming, right? And let's have a look at what he's done last season. So he's going to come in pretty expensive. He's around 650k. And he's obviously fullback. So that's the big drawback for, for Clint Gutherson. But he's coming off his best season he's had. 75-point average for 2021. In 2020, he had the 70-point average. Before that, he had the 57. Definitely the last couple of years, he's been an out-and-out gun uh, with a, around a 72-73 average across the last two seasons. His 75-point season last year, uh, the big thing about it, was the first eight rounds when you look at it. Now, like you mentioned, it was pretty similar, right? Well, he only had one score that was below 74, and he had three tons in those eight games to start the season, including a massive 140, and he actually averaged 90 points for the first two months of the season. So you could say, based on draw, he's actually 15 points undervalued at 650k. Um, obviously, the drawback for Clint Gutherson is going to be the very obvious one that you've got you know, guys like Caelan Ponga, who are actually 50k less at 600k, uh, then you've got the guys like Pappenhausen, who are only 50k more. Uh, then you've got the guys like Tedesco, who aren't even a, only a little bit more than that. And then obviously you've got guys like Trebojevic, who are double the price, but twice as good as Gutherson. So he's in a really, really crap spot at fullback. Um, I think with that draw, he's a he's a number one eel that can take advantage of it, but it's going to be near impossible to start with him. And if you do. It is an absolute smoky big balls pod because nobody's going to have Gutherson at fullback to start round one. Yeah, your numbers are exactly the same as mine, mate. I'm not really going to add anything else. So same thing you said. The only other thing I am going to add is um, he actually averaged 91 against non-top five teams. So you, you obviously mentioned that his first uh, eight games last year, seven of those were versus 
bottom 12, bottom, bottom 13 teams. Yep. So that, that's where the 90, 90 average is. So that's not just the first part of the year. That's against everyone, um, uh, basically below the Eels. So he's got seven out of eight of those for the, to, to start the year. High floor. The only thing going to add there is, obviously, every man his dog is going to have Pappy pretty much. So it's basically going to be Pappy and Hughes and, and Turbo or Teddy or Gutho or whoever you want. You're probably mad if you're going to have uh, Gutho as that second option. The only reason you may want to consider him is if for some reason uh, we go into the season with the COVID-affected uh, team or player and he might be a stopgap for that you know, two-week two period. If it goes gangbusters, then great. Saves you a bit of money for a couple of weeks. You can ride that. You can ride those scores and then, and then switch. But I tell you what, you're going to have to hold him for that four, five, six-week stretch when you don't have Turbo or you don't have Teddy or whoever else, which I think would be a much scarier thought than uh, <laughs> than Ryan than than Gutho. Yeah, look, I think that's when he really comes into calculations. If we have a, a an injury or an out before round one on one of those top-tier fullbacks, I think he can come into calculations. Somebody might want to look at a, a Turbo and Gutho or a Teddy and Gutho if, like, a, a Pappenhausen is out. Um, that's... I think that's very feasible. I was going to say, I was just about to say, I think the, while we're on that subject, I think the mere fact that Gutho can't prop, can't go right and always sweeps left, I think the only real advantage is probably going to be possibly not owning him and taking advantage of maybe a cheapie in that sort of uh, left wing spot, depending on how healthy Sivo is. Yeah, well, Sivo's going to miss the start of the season. That's that's a definite. He's going to be out for a little while. So, you know, obviously uh, some people are going to say that's, that's almost like a loss for them with the guys that are out of the side, and they're going to have two new wingers because Fergo's not there either. So maybe that's going to impact them. But the other thing too is that maybe, you know, Sivo wasn't finishing as well as what he should have probably for the second half of last year. So maybe it might be a bit of a blessing. He wasn't even starting. He was. He didn't do any kick returns last year. He wasn't using his legs um, uh, and doing the tackle bus, doing the hard yards out of his own, his, his own 10, 15 metre line like, like he did his sort of, the first couple of months of his first season, he's certainly not Redrada-like, so he needs to pick his act up. But the, the, point, the, the point I'm trying to make here is it doesn't matter who you get in that left, that left wing spot. All, all they need to do is just finish. It's kind of like having um, uh, Charlie Staines on the other side of the field in the lesser team. Mm. Yep. I, I think I'd, I'm rating Gutherson as the fourth best fullback right now um, for Supercoach. I, obviously, Trevojevic is in the top spot. There's Teddy, there's Pappenhausen. I would actually put Gutherson, though, above Ponga at the moment, and I'd put him above... Latrell. Latrell. Um, Latrell's obviously suspended, and Ponga's a bit questionable. Um, but, and, uh, I mean, a lot of that's the Eels draw, though, right? Like, one thing that we should mention, Billy, is going off classic, in draft last year, I targeted Gutherson hard because he falls in drafts and goes way later than what he should. Um, I think I got him around three last year, which is fantastic for the fullback stocks with the amount of fullbacks that go in the first two rounds of a draft. If you can get Gutherson this year, uh, you can get a huge amount of value out of him in draft, and I'd be targeting him really, really hard. You get even more value selling him at round eight. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. <laughs> you will. Um, so, yeah, look, the first two months of the season, I... I could see Gutherson averaging 100 points. You know, he did 90 easily last year. He could do 100 the first two months this year. It's just going to be hard because you'd expect the other fullbacks are going to be pretty close to him. And then after that, when he puts his foot off the accelerator, the other guys are just going to keep it on there. So it's just positional that's going to make it tough for him. But, you know, there are people that like to live risky. And maybe somebody doesn't like what they saw in Teddy 
um, for parts of last year. He doesn't believe in the Roosters' resurgence this year and doesn't want to pay for, t- for, for Turbo, in which case, you know, the Pappenhausen and Gutho combo, there is a world of possibility where that could outscore, you know, the Teddy-Pappenhausen combo and some of these other ones. Yeah, exactly, mate. I agree with every comment you made there. I think it's probably more of a draft, left wing, uh, round one, eight field type, type role. But, I mean, he's the king, so we have to spend the most time on him, for sure. But <laughs> he's, he's about the cream of the year's crop, mate. <laughs> Let's move on to Reid Marnie. So, Reid Marnie had a career year. Um, quite, quite unfortunate that he got injured. But his season was a phenomenal, and I have to give props to the people that talked him up at the start of the year. The same thing happened the year before. You know, he, in 2019, he came off a 52-point average, and I vividly remember the start of 2020 where people were like, oh, this young kid, Reed, he's going to explode. He's going to be one of the best hookers in the comp. And I just didn't buy it. And all the things that I said in 2020 preseason, I said in 2021 preseason, you know, he's he's not going to get enough attack. He's, he's a bit of a worker. He's a little bit of a plotter. He's going to be solid, but he's not going to be worth the money. You know, mid-50s, what's that going to do for you? Even if he improves a little bit, it's 58 points a game. He scored 68 points a game in 2021. Was one of the best hooking options that you could have had. Uh, and certainly had some big scores in there that you don't always expect um, from someone like Reed Marnie. He had... 134 points in round one, and then in round four he had another 100, and then in round six he had 101. So his first six weeks of the season he threw out three tons and was absolutely on fire. Now, of course, the rest of his season um, he certainly had a middle lull between round nine and and 13 in particular where he wasn't scoring well, and then he was injured, uh, and then he played for a month, and then he was out for the rest of the season. So, look, it's one of those things where... You know, does he back up the career year or did we see a bit of an outlier and he's actually going to return to form and, and be more of a mid-50s to a 60 type of player? Um, I'm I'm really not sure because he's 18 points better last year per week in assists and I think that's where he really got his he, he really got his value up, which I didn't see coming. He averaged about 18 points a game last year just in his assists between his line break assists and try assists. And that is huge for a hooker to be doing and is something that I hadn't seen from him before. So do you think that he's developed that into his game now and he's going to be like a 68-point type of hooker, in which case he's a really big option? Or do you think that it's going to be a regression to the mean? I think he's going to do exactly the same as last year. Um, just just quickly to break it down a bit, though, those stats that you were talking about, those, those try assist stats were for the year. If you break it down even further... Um, it, it's only over the first eight games against the weaker teams. I'll go back and have a look at the numbers. He came out of the blocks with an 83 average for the first eight games, but that was because of two things. His tackle count was 50 tackles per game, so he was basically going ballistic, trying to prove himself racking up 50 a game with the new rules. And he also had exactly one try assist every single game bar one pretty much those first eight games. From there, his tackle count went from 50 down to 40, and the try assists were non-existent for the rest of the year. So, basically, what you need to um, what you need to ask yourself is, will he rack up 50 tackles a game um, based on the same opposition and get the same clutch, um, or will it sort of pan out uh, uh, over the season? Because you need to remember, he never runs the ball ever. He just does not run the ball. He's one of those blokes that are going to have to either come out of the box and give you the 83 average to start the year, or he's not going to be worth uh, a pinch of salt. Yeah, and he comes in just under 600k, 595,000. So it's a lot of money for a tackle bot when you can just go straight to Grant. Yeah, reasonably expensive. 
Um, and, you know, there's obviously a few other options there, but I, I think probably one of the pros for Reed Marnie is that Hooker, as we saw last year, it's a pretty bad spot to be trying to spend on because there's really only those top few guys, um, and then you're really needing, you know, rookies to come through or, or some really good mids to get a starting spot for 80 minutes to be able to risk them for round one. So he's definitely an option there. Uh, I don't think we could talk anybody out of starting with Reed Marnie after last year. Yeah, it's just so hard to go past, you know, sort of Grant and the cheap sort of Titans hooker, whoever gets a starting gig, as opposed to Mahoney and you know, someone else. That's just my line of thought. I just don't want to take the risk, has the concussion risk, which has a fair chunk of, and if there's an, if there's an injury to Grant, then uh, he's back in Oregon as well. Do, do you pretty much think that the, the hooker for you is, is Grant and then Marnie's behind him? Um, I mean, I've got Cook up there myself. I actually am looking at the numbers and deciding whether we're going to see a Cook resurgence, which we'll talk more about in the South podcast, but just when we're ranking Marnie. Yeah, we'll leave it there. Nah, pre-season of Cook will determine for me whether whether he's changed his style again. Like, I would absolutely love to see Cook um, become Cook again. Mm. Well, all the listeners are going to have to tune into the South one to hear my thoughts on that because there's a lot of thoughts on Damien Cook for this year. Reed Money, decent option, had a really good season last year. I'm going to make a big call on him. I think he's going to regress. I don't think that he's going to match the 68-point average for the season. I think it's going to be less than that, um, and I think that he's got potential to maybe not see as much of attack um, that we saw in the first two months of last year, this two months, even though they've got a better draw. So let's wait and see on him. Uh, the other gun to talk about in our gun list is Ryan Madison. Uh, bit of a different season for Ryan Madison. Found himself on the bench, found himself with some concussion again, which has been happening to him a bit too frequently. That's going to be one of the flags for people and one of the things that probably turns some people off. Um, he missed three different chunks, or two different chunks of the season. He missed from round three to round seven, and then he missed again uh, from round 23 to round 25. And he's also got not the best judiciary record too. So could miss some games. Um, he only averaged 69 minutes a game last season, and the years before... For two years in a row, he averaged 76 minutes a game, basically playing full games. So found himself on the bench at times last year, Billy. And I think that part of that was the Isaiah Papali resurgence. Part of it was him coming back from his injury as well with his concussion again. Uh, but when you're drilling down the numbers, he only averaged 65 points a game last year. Now, for a lot of forwards, that's actually really good scoring. But it's his worst scoring for a few years. In 2020, he was a 75-point gun. In 2019, he was a 67-point gun. Uh, coming off 2020, he was one of my favourite second rowers to have for the 2021 season. Obviously, it got a bit disappointing. Um, his first week, you know, he played 80 minutes and he scored 67 points. People were up in arms about that, and I, I thought, no, that's fine. You know, 67 points for first hit up, hit out. You know, that's okay. And then obviously, he got injured, scored 35 points in only 46 minutes of play, and then he was out. So. When we're drilling down on his numbers, he was scoring 75 points a game last season when he was playing 70-plus minutes. So he was basically the same guy that he was in 2020. All that it came down to was his minutes. Okay, Now, if you think that his minutes are going to go back up to 70-plus, if he's going to be an 80-minute player or he's going to come off 10 minutes a game either way, uh, then he's going to be 10 points undervalued. You know, His base by itself is down 7 points year on year. And that'll just go up with the minutes. So I actually quite like Madison Billy um, for this season, but I liked that last year and I got burnt by it. So I'm really interested to see where you're at because Ryan Madison is going to be $570,000, which to me presents quite a bit of value with what he could do and the attack that he could throw in there for the first two months too. 
so I quite like that price point, Madison, for this year, provided, obviously, we get the word that he's a starter uh, for the season in a contract year. Yeah, um, started with him last year and the year before. Uh, last year burnt me, burnt me severely. Previous year um, was great for me. Um, just on your numbers, yeah, pretty much bang on, mate. He only had sort of the five 80-minute games for a 71 average. Um, he did fall over the line a couple of tri- line once and had a try assist in there. So if you take those out, that's sort of a 66 average for those um, 80-minute games. But look, so there's good, some good numbers in there, and you've got to remember that he is going to score some tries. So you leave that as your numbers trying to show you the raw base. Look, as long as he's healthy and playing 70-plus minutes, you'll be okay. Um, but you'd actually want to start him for that draw. You don't, like... You don't, I wouldn't want to miss that draw, plus the HIA, the HIA repeat injury factor, plus the fact that he's got a lowish ceiling. Um, for those reasons, I'm going to be inclined to skip him this year, um, especially with the minutes rotation being unknown and the fact that he's surely going to be rotating with IPAP and, as well as Lane trying to get in there somehow. Um, obviously, IPAP's going to, going to be rotating through the middle somewhat because he's just that much of a beast. You need to have him on the field. So the unfortunate situation is I think... The HA uncertainty and the fact that there's going to be some sort of rotation in there. I don't want to risk having Madison, even though they have a sort of soft draw. And given the, uh, the IPAP's going to rotate through the middle there, it's going to impact his minutes again. So the two guys that I would normally really, really, be really, really keen on, um, you know, lay this year for those reasons. Yeah, that's fair. I'm not sure on the rotation yet. Uh, obviously, we need to see a bit more preseason training. I was hoping that IPAP would be more middle. Um, and not, and they maybe try and stick to Madison as an 80-minute edge, or maybe IPAP just goes for 10 minutes on the edge and the rest middle. Something like that would be nice, but we're not going to see any of that until we get some of the preseason. I actually like him a lot, provided he's starting. Yeah, we'll talk about IPAP in a minute, in, in a minute too. But there's some really interesting stats on his numbers based on where he's in the field too. Well, let's talk about IPAP now then. I've got him as a controversial decision. Um, so my controversial decision for the Eels is whether you are on the IPAP train or you're not on the IPAP train. Now, he obviously had a huge season last year. Saying it was a career season is an understatement. He's never done anything like it before. 78 points a game last year. He's obviously pretty hungry for another contract. He's, he's been paid now, though, so whether that does anything, we don't know. I mean, you can see in 2019, different role, different team, but he played 74 minutes a game, which is more than his 67 minutes a game last year. And for his 74 minutes, he only did 50 points a game. 66 minutes in 2018, which was almost identical to last year, and he did 49 points. A lot of that was on the edge from memory, so he didn't have those middle stats, I guess, but he was still on the edge a fair bit for the Eels too. And he's just a much better player. You know, maybe he's matured into that player, but it is a bit of a worry that, you know, he needed a contract and he's just gotten paid big dollars as well. So when you're looking at the numbers, 78 points a game, He's priced out. He was massive last year. If you were on the IPAP train right from the beginning, you absolutely killed last season to start with, and it was a massive decision that I decided to go against, and it was one of the things that really hurt my season. But 54 raw base is, is great, uh, in his 67 minutes a game. And the other couple of numbers on him as well was his, his base base attack was huge. So his base attack was about 14 points per game, just about when you're looking at his tackle breaks and his offloads. I also looked at the first two weeks of the season, when Madison was not hurt, he was playing 55 minutes a game. And obviously, you know, he earned more opportunity after that. Madison got benched or whatever. But there's also going to be the question mark of, well, you know, does he revert more to a 55-minute role, especially now that he's leaving? If they want to keep Madison, if Madison's going to be a starting edge and they want to play him 80, does that mean that IPAP's 55? You know, that's the type of thing that's going to end up 
really reducing his value. So I think there's a huge amount of question marks, Billy. And when you look at the price tag for IPAP, it's massive. You're paying almost $700,000, granted for a front row forward, second row forward dual, which is great. But say you put him at front row forward, you know, do you really want to pay a hundred grand more than, say, Payne Haas? Because I, I definitely don't. And then there's some other value pick guys that we'll discuss in other podcasts as well that are around the 500 mark. So to me, I actually think he's overvalued. Um, and I think controversially, he's, he's going to take a bit of a plummet from where he was last year. Yeah, I agree with all that, mate. I think he's a classic example of it's actually okay to start players who are coming off the bench. Like you said, look at last year. Um, if you can get a good PPM player uh, getting more minutes at a club or at their existing at, the, at, a, at their existing club or at a new club with, with, pe- with people leaving or moving positions, 35 minutes off, off a bench can you know, pretty much equate to you know, 45, 50 points for pretty much bugger or money. Like if you really look at a sort of you know, crimp and sort of um, uh, save on the, on the spend in any sort of position, particularly that front, front row forward and with COVID on, on, on the horizon too. Like it's, if you can find someone like his mould playing for any other team in that front row forward or dual or that dual position, that'd be great to have. But I'm sure you'll talk about more, more about those guys on the different podcast, but we'll, we'll get to that. Just on that, <laughs> what the listeners have to think about how hard it is to field a side, you know, in rounds 23 to 26 last year with no trades. Imagine imagine being being full strength in round one, one to four this year if COVID comes in and having half a dozen blokes or maybe two or three blokes like Isaiah Papali on the bench to sort of cover that front row forward and the second row forward position. So although I don't really rate IPAP for this year, I think there's probably a couple of good similar options which we can get to later. But just just while we're actually talking about IPAP for the people that actually are keen on him, I broke the numbers down a little bit more just to have a, have a look. His left side average was 77 of 69 minutes, which is where he'll be this year. Um, well, that's why he's priced it anyway, but he's probably going to rotate smaller minutes through the middle, which doesn't make it ideal. Here's the, here's a kicker, though, which I didn't see. On right side, when he was playing in Madison's position, while Maddo was away, he averaged 99 of 70 minutes with three tons and 93, 83, and a 58 of six games. So that right side is is the money spinner for the Eels for for the, uh, that uh, that second row second row spot. Also shows why Bado has been going so well for the last sort of uh, two or three years there. But look, mate, I'm kind of with you here. I think my verdict is if Maddo goes down and he, go, he goes straight in and, get, and gets that right side spot or, or even that left side spot for 80 minutes, then I'll likely pick him up in that front row forward position only. Um, but if not. I'll probably wait and pick him up when the time's right when he sort of comes back to the rest of the rest of the pack um, for his front row forward rotation. And and look, if he gets an eighty minute roll on edge, which isn't what I've got got him pinned at, but if he gets an eighty minute roll on edge, I'll completely reverse my decision and and I'll say that he's he's a fantastic buy for the money because he's he's going to be hugely undervalued. Oh yeah, it's just unlikely. Hey? Um, and that's just yeah, exactly. based on minutes. Um, but you know, even if he underperforms compared to last season, if he gets an extra 13 minutes, that should completely negate that, and you're at least going to get what you pay for, and they've got a good draw for the first two months. So there's definitely an argument for you to get IPAP, guys. I don't want to sound like, you know, it's a definite don't go near him. I'm not going to. I'm going to bank on there being um, other guys that I'd rather have and him having some regression. But by all means, if you think that he's going to be good, I would not talk you out of it because he proved last year what a gun he can be in super coach. I will just say with IPAP though, uh, he's almost 700,000, right? And we spoke before about how Billy, it was one of the, it was the highest super coach scoring season there was. So you can pos- possibly look at this year as one where you can have less guns than other round ones because of the price and the limited rise in the salary cap. If that's the case, you know, 
Ipat might look good in a vacuum when you're looking at him, even if he gets that 80-minute starting spot. But do you really want him at the expense of a second gun fullback like a Tedesco? Do you really want him instead of a Nathan Cleary at halfback if Cleary's good for round one? You know, do you really want him instead of a Payne Haas at 600000 um, that's a lot cheaper, but it's also a gun? You know, this is the thing every year in round one. You can't have every gun, and this year you can probably have less guns, and IPAP is priced right at the max. Yeah, like, you could end up getting a 70, a 70 score out of him every single week, and you'd be cheering. But if you think of it relatively, you could get someone like, you know, like a bum or an Aiden Tolman plotter scoring 50, 53 points a week. Um, for you know, half the price, and you basically add an advantage. So it all comes down to how you how you, how you, how you spend your team. Yep, and and the guns, you know, the the four or five top line superstar guns that you're going to pick. That's that's a real big decision for round one, and that's the thing that that really differentiates in that first month of the season. You know, which ones you're going to pick, and if you can save a bit of cash on it, like if you're not going to go like the turbo route, where you're going to get maybe six star guns, but not as many superstar top line guns, you know, having that breadth and depth in your squad. If if we think COVID's going to hit, we're not going to have some other relaxed rules around trading for it. That that might end up really good because, as Billy said, there was a lot of times last year we were running out of players, and I think that happened to a lot of teams. So it might be a year where, you know, if you go really light um, by spending big up the top, and you've got like seventeen playable players and one or two that you could throw in, but you don't really want to for round one or two, you could end up in a world of hurt very quickly early in this season. Well, mate, my biggest fear this year is having COVID hit and having to play a bloke like Spencer Lini every week as opposed to sweating that I'm going to have to play him. <laughs> if well, I how, about, how about playing 16 players? That happened a couple of times to me last year. Oh, mate. But you know, you know what? And that's what I was saying before when I was talking about having like a decent bench because you can... If you... Maybe the biggest decision might be not going um, turbo and having some decent bench. And when you know, half your forwards go down with COVID, you're actually able to field you know a full full side that can actually score between 50 and 55 points each, as opposed to you know the one or two weeks where you, or every single player scores 100, but then all of a sudden you're just playing with 13 players. Like it all comes down to like you said how the how the how the, um, the, the daily Chelly guys decide to do the. Um, do the, um, the the trades and, and, deal, and deal with sort of whatever pops up throughout the year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the rules are going to be for this year and how that's going to be handled. Um, let's move on. So the next category is our big balls pod slash risk category. Uh, and we're just going to talk about the halves because the halves present a huge risk. Uh, going to be massive pods because not a lot of people are going to want to go near Dylan Brown or, or Mitchell Moses. I'm going to start with Dylan Brown though because he's getting a little bit of a cult groundswell again, which he's had in prior seasons maybe being undervalued and maybe, you know, this is the year that he busts out. So Dylan Brown last season uh, ended up scoring 53 points a game, hugely down on his 64 points a game in 2020. And the other thing with that when you see it in a back billy is, you know, it's not just 11 points down on his 2020 average. When scoring all went up so significantly, you may as well add an extra 20% down because he should have had an extra 20% inflation on that year because of the extra attack. And he just didn't have it at all. So because of that, you know, he ended up having a really poor season where for a half, he only ended up with barely over three points per game in his assists. Um, his tries were similar year, year on year, which is pretty low for a runner like him anyway. Pretty much the only great thing about Dylan Brown is he, he has a pretty good raw base. He was 37 raw base last year, and he is someone who is relatively cheaply priced. Now, 
in the halves, it can be a bit tricky because obviously we need four of them. Um, Dylan Brown's going to come in at 466,000. So certainly if you think that he's going to be a 64 guy like 2020, or even that he's just for that two months going to take advantage of that draw, I think that's why some people are starting to get a little bit interested in Dylan Brown as an option because they're having a look and seeing that maybe outside of like a Nathan Cleary and, you know, Munster suspended, there isn't really that many great half options that they're comfortable with. Yeah, I had just look at his top score, 71, last year and go, he, remind, he reminds me of um, Schuster in that he's a tackle bot. He gets in there, he has a go, loves to run the ball. But the problem is he's just not big like Schuster can't break through and doesn't really sort of get a good ball away. It's just more of a sort of a tackle bot, like a, a Jack Whiten type thing without without the sort of kick, that's all. Um, I just don't really see any value in him. I think there's a lot of money to spend on someone who's really not going to break a line. Yeah, look, I must admit I've never been a big Dylan Brown fan, and I think that he needs to be that 300k mark to sort of present an interesting option that you could throw in there and try and make some money out of out of that draw in the first two months. But I just 100%. those other guys, those other guys in your team are going to get the ball right. Like Moses is going to get it more, um, and Gutherson's certainly going to run the attack and be the number one in the assist category in the in the clutch attack stats. So it's just not going to happen for Dylan Brown, in my opinion. Yeah, he's kind of like getting the tip of the races, mate. Like, you're just nervous, and if it gets over the line, yeah, it's brilliant at 10 to 1, but the next three weeks, you're you're running, it acts like a dog and he does nothing, so it's, and you're going to have him for that full sort of, that full sort of, you know, five or six weeks, so law of averages, he's, he's not going to do enough uh, consistently week in, week out to justify that price tag, so absolute no from me. Yeah, and look, it's no good getting a guy with a solid floor that's going to get you mainly 40-plus as a half if, if he's not doing much over 70 anyway ever. And he didn't really last year. had a 71, and that was it. So there's just not really much point. Um, I will put a little disclaimer in, especially for the new listeners of the All-Stars podcast. A lot of the stuff that we give you guys is just information. Like we just have a look at it, and we just give our opinion based on the information, the data, and what we see watching the games. A lot of the time you'll find that we don't say, yep, this guy's definitely a go and this guy's definitely a not because it's a lot more grey than that in Supercoach. Uh, and sometimes it'll work out, sometimes it won't for different teams, different team builds, different strategies. So very rarely will we say, definitely not this guy, 100% this guy. But Dylan Brown is pretty close to a definitely not this guy category. Um, I just don't believe in him. Sometimes we do give facts, guys, like, you know, 35 years of a heartache and the fact that the Eels aren't going to excite you too much. But be my guest, get him if you want. <laughs> well, Moses is the other guy that's going to give you some heartache. I mean, I've I've had Moses at different times, particularly for, for buy periods um, and particularly for starting draw last year. I grabbed him and I was hoping for a bit more because of the value that was there. Um, and he's, he's a similar guy where if you have a look at Mitchell Moses for 2021, uh, sorry, 2022. It's hard to get the 2022 out still. 511,000. It's not hugely priced considering the other options that are around. And he's got a great draw and he's going to be the goal kicker. The problem is that this happened last year. And like you said, Billy, I, I fell for it last year and I was hopeful for the first two months. And look, he wasn't terrible, but it just wasn't worth, wasn't worth bothering with. Um, he only really had two tons last year. And the year before that, he only had one. And when you have a look at his big scores, he doesn't really string them together either. So it's really turned into Clint Gutherson's team with how the attack runs. Mitchell Moses doesn't get enough of it. And his goal kicking, even in the good periods where the Eels are scoring tries, which I think they will in the first two months, doesn't give enough for us to consider him. But he's definitely a big balls one. And he's definitely one where I'm going to say, unlike Dylan Brown, I could actually see Mitchell Moses throw 150k on his value. 
um, at some point over a month period, even though he doesn't normally do it the last couple of years. I, I could see it this year with that draw and just how it's shaping up. So it, it might come off. I'm going to go with other options, but you know it's one of those dark horse big balls pod ones that <laughs> some crazy person will go for. He won't be 0% owned. Well, I did warn you about him last year. <laughs> I'm going to warn you about him again. <laughs> Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate. He didn't hurt me last year. He just wasn't great. <laughs> he was a nice middle ground plotter. Oh mate, if, look if I watched the Eels religiously, guys, if there's something I can guarantee, it's the right side never get the ball. Um, right centre and right winger don't even bother. They can be bottom bottom dolly. You just cannot play them. Same with left side centre. The only the only outside back for the Eels ever gets the ball is that left wing, and and it has to be the bottom eight bottom eight team for them to go over for a double retrieve style with with the fullback. Um, apart from apart from uh, those two guys, the only Eels you want is basically a cheap hooker and your and your edges. Um, but just just on to Moses Moses again. Look, he's up. He's no good. Look, he he tries. I'll give him one thing, mate. Every week, every week, week in, week out, he's in there giving you his all. Like even when we're down by 50 points, there he's still yelling and screaming at the guys, and I'll always, um, always give him the thumbs up for that. Like he tries his heart out. Um, but for SC consistency, it just isn't there. Like we were saying before, like he's got the same draw as last year, but it's the same response for me. Like there's no way in hell I'm touching him, mate. He got. He had a 58 average from those from those eight games last year, and that was taking out the um, the injury game where he only scored sort of seven. So an average of 58 versus the bottom seven ranked teams in the comp that he's going to come up against uh, again when he's basically priced at that. That's a no for me. The only other aspect in there, just quick, he actually did shine in the Middle Oregon period, but it was only versus the cheap teams, and I mean the absolute piss league bottom four teams when everyone was fatigued, middle of the season players are away. That's the only time he shined. So the verdict for me is, look, he's basically a desperation second half of the, the team, a second half of the season type play, and only if, only if you've got a, a two or three game run versus the bottom two or three teams. Otherwise, make, forget it. Don't even bother. Yep, yep. And look, we're going on to the disappointment now, and I'm just going to mention it. My biggest disappointment of the Seals team for last year and is a stay away for this year for me is going to be Junior Paulo. Um, and he's a guy that I love, and he started off last season on fire. Scored two tries in the first two weeks last season, back-to-back. Didn't score another try again. Uh, got 100 points and 84 points in the first two weeks of last season. Ended up being his two highest scores of the year. Uh, but even that first four weeks, he still went 64 and 66 in rounds three and four. So certainly, you know, when I bought him in at about round three, because I really like what I saw, uh, I still thought he was going okay. He does get niggling injuries, though, and he does play through them. So we'll give that little caveat to Junior that that happened a couple of times and that resulted in some lower minutes and stuff. But his offloads really dried up last year. He started he started off on fire. He was offloading great. He was getting tackle breaks. And then the offloads started to dry up. And occasionally he would start busting them out mid-season. But they dry up again. So he's a stay away from me. Um, I normally am really conscious of Junior Paulo and looking at him in the early rounds. But... 487,000, uh, too much money to go for the value and to hope. And he's just, it's just a too much of a nightmare from last year for me, mate. It just hurt me so bad at the start. Oh, mate, SC wise, yeah, 100%. Like, I can't really go near him purely because of the, you never know when that, tr- that lion trunk is going to come out the back and put away. You also don't know what minutes he's going to have. But from an actual footy point of view, mate, he's one of the most exciting front forward forwards to watch. The guy's brilliant when he's angry. I love him. I absolutely love him. And look, he 
him and Moses, where their value is going to be for Supercoach, both those guys are going to drop significantly in draft. You know, and Moses in particular. Moses is going to be a fantastic lower, like mid-tier halfback option. When the top couple of halfbacks like Cleary and DC are off the table, you can wait several rounds and, and still probably get Moses, and you'll love it the first couple of months of the season, yeah. probably in draft. Actually, you know what you're saying. Uh, question for you, just on that Junior Polo point. Do you think the the change in rule inside the 40 meter um, zone um, advantages him? Because where I'm going here is like you were saying before. If you get a penalty inside the 40, inside the 40, there's no fast play the ball. Like he's not going to be like he's, he's never previously been there. But you kick for touch, all of a sudden defensive line sets. They go in the middle. What happens? It's a couple of big hit ups straight down the middle for the big guy. If he gets that trunk off, that trunk, that uh, that long arm trunk ball away, that's an effective offload, line break assist, try assist. Yeah, I think that it can. Um, the the key is going to be whether he's going to consistently get the arm out and keep trying to push the offloads, which he did, and then he kept stopping last year. And there was times when he wasn't doing it enough. So I think it's going to depend on his style of play. Um, but yeah, definitely yeah. he could get more opportunity. He was. He was yeah, I'm all for. Sorry, I was just to say I'm all for look if if you're if you're if you're a team that doesn't have a lot of attacking weapons, if you got one like that, I'd just unleash it and use it. Like we need everything we can. Yeah, I would too. I'd play him sixty minutes a game because he's he's more than capable of doing it. But you know, he he didn't get to that last year. Minutes were up and down too much, and he ended up averaging uh, fifty six points a game across fifty three minutes a game. And that was only a minute below, you know, he's 54 the year before, but it looked like he was going to be playing more minutes and Arthur spoke about that and it just didn't happen. Plus some injury affected games in there as well. But let's stop talking about disappointments of last year and focus on the cheapies and mids that we might have for the Eels for this year. Um, Penasini and, and Dunster are the two. Obviously in the back line, we've got Sebo out and we've got Ferguson gone. We do have Simonson coming in, so it's going to be interesting out of... Simonson and the two young fellas, which ones are actually going to get a spot? Um, when we're having a look at them price-wise, I think that the guy that you want to definitely be getting in is, is Penasini, just because of his price at 255000 He hasn't really shown much. you know. I don't think we can take much away from his few games. Um, Hayes Dunster's closer to 300000 at, at 293000 That's starting to get a bit more expensive, Billy. And we did see quite a bit from him. You know, and he still only averaged 33 and a half points a game last year. He was only 40 points per game in his 80 minute matches. And in those nine 80 minute matches in 2021, he scored three tries. So scoring one in three games and playing 80 minutes for those nine games and only scoring 40 points per game isn't that optimistic for, for a $300,000 guy. And I dare say it smells a little bit stains like from last year. <laughs> Yeah, I can't go anywhere near it. It's, that, that's too much of a risk for me. Um, I, and given how many sort of cheapies are available, I mean, everyone's basically going to have Suwali. Everyone's going to have um, uh, who's what's your left centre again? Dang up, young kid. Well, uh, Billy Smith probably won't be in the side. Oh, really? Um, at the moment, I, I would think that Momorowski's going to be in there, and, Ooh, and I thought he would slid straight. I would have thought he'd, he'd slide straight in. Nah, look, uh, he got hurt again last year. Um, so we'll talk about it quite a bit on the Roosters podcast, but you know I'm I'm going to guess that they're going to want to get some football into him first for him to get his confidence up and body right without any pressure because he he's been hurt yeah, every enough. year for like five years now. So yeah, I, I think bringing in Momorowski, who's a, who's a noted goal kicker as well compared to our other guys, he, he'll slot in the centre. You'll get Suali. I don't I don't necessarily think that we will get 
that many cheapies, though, um, for the centre wing. I think that we could only see two or three. Um, and then it's going to be a matter of, you know, do you really want to be left short there? Do you really want to, you know, have to play some guys for really bad matchups without being able to throw in a, a Penasini who, who might have a really good matchup? I think that the fact that the Eels have really good matchups for the first two months and at 250k means that someone like Penasini is actually a decent look, um, more so than maybe a Dunster. Especially if they get a left side position, I think. You'll, see, you'll have the Sawali. If, if, if you play left side, then you'll have oh, either side. People are still going to pick a cheapie at the Eels with that sort of draw. So you'll have the, the whoever gets the Eels to the spot, um, possibly um, someone from the Rift. The, the Penrith have actually got a decent draw as well. So regardless of whether Clear is in there, you'll have um, possibly an, a right sort of centre or um, and maybe even a dual edgy in there. Who knows? So there's a, there's a couple of opportunities already um, that are popping up. So Shooting those to the two or three plus ones that are gun, you're really only looking at sort of three three cheapies to pop up, or maybe one enough and a couple of cheapies. So I think it's looking pretty positive already. Yeah, potentially. Um, it's going to be a matter of how many bottom dollar ones we get, which I'm not sure this far out. But Penasini's, you know, at, at centre, he's also going to have a better base than what Hayes Dunce is going to have if he gets the wing spot. So a couple there for us to watch, but that's probably the Eels. Well, my, you know, I, I find it really hard to pick a number one Eels purchase for Supercoach. I'm going to say for draft, it's Gutherson. And scoring-wise, it's probably Gutherson, but you can't pick him. Um, but for non-draft, I'm, I'm going to say Madison for me. I'm, I'm probably going to put Madison in to my side again. Um, yeah, it depends on minutes rotation. Look, if I perhaps in the middle, it's Madison. If I perhaps playing the same minutes as Maddo, then I'll go Maddo. Uh, I pap in the front row. That would be my that would that would be my preference. Well, let's move on to the Cronulla Sharks. So, before we do that, I need to give a shout out to our sponsor. The sponsor of the All Stars podcast is Top Sport. Top Sport is one of the best bookmakers that you can grab in Australia to put your bets on. If you do so, make sure you do it responsibly, but make sure you do it with Top Sport. They are 100 percent Australian owned. They are a fantastic Aussie company that gives great odds. One of the best things about Top Sport I love is. They often have some of the best odds in market. They're constantly trying to get uh, bigger markets as well. We thought we were maybe going to get some super coach markets not long ago. I've still got my fingers crossed that that's going to happen at some point. But Top Sport have got some great markets up already. For example, you know you can go to Premiership winners and, and have a look at the value you can get there. My roosters are seven dollars, which I love. But you can also just go down to making the grand final on Top Sport and, and get three dollars sixty for the roosters, for instance. Or if you think the Seagulls are going to take the next step, they're four bucks, so you get some really good good value. We're talking about the Sharks in a minute. I mean, if you think they're going to make the top eight, you can double up your money and more at two dollars ten just to make the top eight. So Top Sport have always got some great markets in place. They've already got the NRL futures markets all there and everything else with all other sports that you probably love too. So if you like racing or sport, jump on Top Sport and give them a go. If you do so, make sure that you use the All-Stars podcast promo code though so they know that you're one of our listeners and they can take real good care of you with all the stuff that you're interested in. So that promo code is SC All Stars, all one word. And if you pop that into the promo code, they'll know that you're one of our fans one of our listeners, and they'll know to take good care of you. So, Top Sport, get on it. Let's move on to the Cronulla Sharks. So, Cronulla Sharks for this season are very different. Probably one of the biggest things that they've changed, Billy, is they've got Craig Fitzgibbon as their coach. And that's going to be pretty big. You know, uh, he's going to bring in a a raft of changes. He's been working with Trent Robinson for a number of years. Uh, I I rate him as a coach, not just because he's coming from the Roosters, but I think he's a pretty smart operator. 
Uh, so I'm a pretty big fan of him coming in. But obviously, you know, there's a lot of people that have moved on from this this shark side. They've got Sean Johnson and Chad Townsend gone, which are both their halves. Uh, older guys like Aaron Woods, Josh Deegan, Will Chambers. Um, and then they've got, you know, a, a resurgence of signings coming in to replace those guys with Dale Finucane and Cameron McInnes that are going to provide a lot of veteran leadership. And then they've also got Nico Hines as well, who they're hoping is going to really kick on. Now, a lot of changes for the Sharkies. Um, I'm I'm penciling them in for myself. I think that they're going to be more of a sort of fringe top eight. I can see them anywhere from sort of seven to eleven, and that's where I kind of see them. Yeah, they're a flip of coin type prospect, depending on how well Sir Hines goes in the halves. But um, I mean, you can't expect any half to sort of <laughs> rip in from uh, the get go. They've got to form their combinations. But I do like the fact that they've got some healthy forwards. Um, I think Finucane's the one I'm most excited about. Actually, if you take Hines out of the equation, I can't wait to see how many minutes he gets um, being, you know, how expensive he is moving into moving into that 13 role. Or does he go into, like, straight forward? They've already got a few locks. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how they actually look at it. I think pre-season's going to be really important for the Sharkies to see form and sort of how Fitzgibbon thinks too. Because I don't... It's one of those things where I don't think you can look at last year and go, oh, okay, well, this is sort of the minutes that guys are going to get or, or basically what they're going to look like. I think Fitzgibbon's going to change everything and that's what he's brought in to do and I think that's going to happen as well. So when we're having a look at it, really, when we're looking at the guns for the Sharkies, it, it's got to be their new signing, Nico Hines. Um, he's, got, he's got a new role in the team and he's coming over from the Storm, obviously, but only 13 games of his 22 games played last season were 80 minutes and 6 out of 22 were sub-50. That means that there's... There's huge value in Nico Hines. Other thing, too, is that when you're looking at his averages, you know, he's scored 78 points a game in only 65 minutes a game, which is phenomenal. And it's really the first season that we've been able to see Nico Hines come in and get meaningful minutes. Um, so it is one of those things, Billy, again, where you can go, okay, well, that's him kicking on now. He's a young guy. This is him. He didn't get the opportunity before. Or maybe there's a little bit of a risk that it's an outlier. Um, I know that one of the big things that's coming up with Nico Hines, people are looking at him at halfback, um, as a halfback fullback duel and going, oh, yeah, I could put him at halfback, but, well, he's almost $700,000. 686000 he's going to cost you for round one. I understand that. That way of thinking. I'm actually going to say why I think that Nico Hines might be an option to consider for round one, though. And I don't think a lot of people are going to consider him. There's a big argument that he's he's one of these players that's left Melbourne. So he automatically he's going to lose like 10 points a game just by leaving Melbourne. Okay, that might be a fair argument. But I'm going to give you the counter, Billy, and see what you reckon. My counter to that argument about him leaving Melbourne and, and lo- losing points there is that he's going to more than make up for it because he's he's looking like he's going to be goal-kicking. He's going to be playing 80 minutes a game, which is a huge amount extra to what he was playing last year. And in the Melbourne Storm team, he was a, he was playing a cameo role. You know, at times he was sharing the field with Pappenhausen, Munster, Hughes, all on there, or at least two of them on there. Uh, and then he had Harry Grant there in, in the spine as well. You know, he was very much at times a bit of a passenger or a link player that he was playing. Um, and he looked brilliant when he wasn't, but... You know, it has to get shared around because they had that many stars. In the Sharks team, he's actually the number one option in that spine. He's going to be relied on to take on all the responsibility and stuff. Obviously, he might not be able to do that. Maybe it's going to be too much for him. Maybe it's going to be an adjustment period of a few months before he really manages to be able to change his game to do that. 
But maybe as the focal point of the Sharks team, he really shines. And that extra responsibility equals a lot of extra stats for him that he wasn't getting at Melbourne with his opportunities. So I'm actually going to go glass half full here because Sean Johnson's someone who went over there and, and was basically the number one option for him in that spot. And he led the league in tries this. Uh, I can see Nico Hines just, just slotting in really well and goal kicking as well. Yeah, I think he'll go well. Um, put it this way. If you said... Uh, um you know, Cameron Munster priced at sort of a 78 average, all of a sudden is going to get goal kicking this year. Would you pick him up? Yep. I think it's the same sort of thing. This, this bloke actually averaged 78 last year off only 65 minutes per game. So yes, he did kick last year already, but you basically got 15, 15 minutes a game that he didn't play, which you need to account for. Um, what's going to offset that is the fact that it's a positional change, which he still needs to get used to. Um, so, so no kick returns, uh, less tackle bus, um, less sort of sweet, sweet play and link, sweet play and linking. The other one is, um, oh, the fact that it's you know, not the storm, like it's not going to be the same sort of attack. So you got to, you got to account for that. But I think he's at his floor. So if you wanted to take a risk, you can. Um, I think the question you just need to ask yourself is, you know, does the A minutes of the Sharks basic offset, you know, his 65 minutes a game for a 7-8 average. Um, I think personally that he will score um, more than 7-8 with kicking at the Sharks. Just is it round one, two, and three? I don't know, but certainly over the season, I think he'll get there. So uh, I think he's just too, too exciting a player to to, to um, miss out on. I think it'll be more of a... He turns into a Cameron Munster-style player as opposed to a North convert. Yeah, and that's one of the other arguments that people mentioned too. The good point that you mentioned that it's going to be a completely different position for him. We, we didn't really get to see much of him in the halves at all. I think that his best position is fullback, and he's not going to be playing that. Uh, but you know, when you look at his high scores last year, he's got 166 points, 104 points, 156 points, 138 points, and 182 points. He had five tons, with four out of those five being over 150. Um, it's if you're scoring that well, it doesn't really matter if you want to take ten, fifteen percent, twenty percent off, because they're, they're, they're a different position. You know, they're, they're really big scores that he's still going to be able to potentially hit at the Sharkies. You know what's scary? Um, I'm not sure if you read it, but I posted a, uh, a comment in the, the lads chat today. That highest score that he had last year, the 186, whatever it was, that was only in 69 minutes, yep. so he didn't even play the full game. And he did not score a goddamn try and was not kicking goals. Yeah, and he had some huge games too. And that was one of them where he just had this mass amount of tackle breaks. Mass amount of tackle breaks. It wasn't even tackle breaks. It was <laughs> basically <laughs> 10 line breaks and line break assists and six, <laughs> six, six try assists. It was all just link play. Here you go, here you go, here you go, boys. And look, he's, he's someone who... Yeah, he's not going to be doing the same sort of returns that a fullback would, so he might go down on some of those tackle breaks. But he's also going to get his base up with some tackles. Hopefully that doesn't take you out of his game um, for stamina and energy, and he gets used to that pretty quick. But the the amount of ways that, that Nico Hines can score points is something that I really like. You know, He's going to be goal-kicking. He's going to be general play-kicking. He's going to be line-breaking, try-scoring. He's going to be setting stuff up. He's going to be getting the ball whenever he wants. He's going to be getting mass tackle breaks when he runs. He does it all, you know, and I just really like that Swiss Army life type of player. And I don't mean to say that he's like Adam Dewey. I don't think that he is. I think they're different players. But Adam Dewey is a guy that I really liked last year because he's that Swiss Army knife type. He can score in so many different ways 
between his offloading tackle breaks runs and, and all the clutch attack that he gets. So it's it's just one of those things where I think that he does so many different things and being the focal point at the Sharks, getting the goal kicking, playing 80 minutes. I actually think you need to take away the fact that we've only seen a year of him, take out of your head the price and the points and just look at what you think he could score. And if you do that, I think that you'll end up finding that you'll the numbers will say that he's going to be at least undervalued potentially. Yeah, mate. I, look, I think personally, give him give him twelve points, league points. Let's just say ten. Give him 12, 10 points per game net in goal kicking, at least one line break and a try assist per game. There's there's he's he's too good not to score, not to do that. There's thirty points without uh, without a tackle, without a hit up, without a tackle bust or an offload, which you know he's really good at. So, I think. There's a very minimal risk of him regressing much, but I, I think there's certainly potential for him to go a lot higher than that 78 than there is for him to go below it. Yeah, he, his floor is phenomenal. Like, he's, his 80-minute games, you know, he's still giving you 50-plus points, even any bad ones. So I, I like him as a buy, and I think that he's going to be a bit of a pod as well. Hey, quick question for you. So if, if you don't opt to go with him, and I haven't got him at the moment because, you know, I've decided to it, I'm scrounging everywhere. If you don't go with him and he all of a sudden scores 120, 120 in a couple of games, what do you do? Do you scramble? <laughs> what do you do? Do you sell turbo to get him or what? Oh, that's the thing. I mean, I, I think it's one of the things that was a real bugbear of mine last year is the injuries that happened really opened up people's options. Like, I think there was a lot of times where people like Gutherson was one um, and certainly Adam Dewey was another and other ones that were really good pod plays that were scoring great that people couldn't get and then injuries happened and everybody jumped on them. You know, I, I think that that's how it can happen. If there's injuries early and there often is, guys will jump on. But if there's no injuries in those spots, you know, it might be very hard to get on Nico Hines later because he does have that ability to score really big and you might find that you miss the boat. So I think if you believe in him and you believe in the numbers, uh, you can start start with him round one. Don't Don't stop and wonder about it because... You know, their draw, which we didn't really mention at the start, the first five weeks is pretty good. You know, it does get a bit harder, but even if you go down to the first bye where they've actually got the bye off, you know, there's three of those games that are really hard where they do hit the Storm, um, they do hit the Roosters, and they do hit uh, Manly. But the other games, um, you know, you can say that probably eight out of those 12 games are going to be potentially non-top eight teams. And the first five weeks, I think, is what you want to look at with Nico Hines. Raiders, uh, Eels, a bit tougher maybe, but then they've got the Dragons, the Knights, and the Tigers. And that Dragons, Knights, Tigers run, that could be a three-round average of 130 um, with how he strings the scores together. Yeah, last year a bit, I um, took a punt and didn't get David Feeder. He was the one guy that killed my start. I got for Feeder in this year purely because of the Titans run, but uh, Hines is the one guy that scares me not owning. Yeah, and like, I mean, we have to be fair and mention the fact that I said, you know, you know, IPAP isn't someone I want to spend 700k on because uh, you you can't buy all the guns and and you know it's, you want to probably get other guys instead. You know, Nico Hines is kind of similar. He had a bust out year and he's around that 700k mark. But the difference with someone like Nico Hines is that he's got a big enough ceiling yeah. to be able to captain or vice captain. Yeah, if if probably he goes well and scores 110 and 90, and your other four, you get another four to only scores 55, 60, then there's a difference of you know what. 50 points, but you know, by round three or round four, you know, you know, IPAP's going to score 55, then 60, and it'll come back. Um, the other bloke, 
can score 150 to 180 as opposed to your rookie half or mid-half who can score 30 and all of a sudden there's a 200-point swing. That's a lot harder to close. Yeah, the, the captaincy of vice-captain is going to be huge. Um, let's move on because we both love Nico Hines, obviously. Controversial decision. Cameron McInnes has come over. Cameron McInnes is a hugely popular supercoach play for 2022. A lot of people are jumping on him. Obviously, he had last season off with his knee injury coming in this year into a shark side from the Dragons. His 2020 season came off his best year, averaging 76 points a game. That's where everyone, everybody's jumping on for because he's now priced pretty nicely because he had all of last year off. And he's a dual hooker second rower. So that's kind of handy. You can get him at 535000 That price point is sucking a lot of people in. Understand why, but I'm controversially going to say, Billy, that I have no, zero interest in him from round one. And I'm going to tell you why, and I reckon you might disagree with me on this one, but in 2020, he played 80 minutes almost every week. Eight games, he started 13 as well in 2020, so it's going to be a similar role at the Sharks. And he scored 73 points per game in close enough to 80 minutes. If he plays around 56 to 60 minutes, at least to start the year, he could very well be a 53 to 54-point player. Now, that's it's going to be hugely disappointing to get that, um, spending that money for round one. And he isn't a guy that's necessarily going to have a huge season. He's coming off an ACL. He didn't even play a game all of last year. He's coming into a new club. He's coming in with a new club that has a new coach. And I don't think that Fitzgibbon is going to run a guy at his age, coming off that injury, not playing for the best part of, what, 18 months, into the ground by playing him 80 minutes or even 65 minutes to start the season. I just don't see it happening. I'm really off Kevin McInnes, so I think all the numbers say that. And the last thing I'll finish on before I throw over to you, Billy, is he's, he's 2020 was the big outlier, right? You know, before that 76.1, he had a decent season at 2019 at 68 points. But before that, you know, he was playing the same type of minutes and he was a 60 and 58 average. You know, and he was always kind of that really good worker that could go, you know, a 55 to 60 type of guy for a few years. And then 2019, he kind of busted out and, you know, played a different role as well, moving to 13 at times. There's every chance that he regresses back to that 60 point per game player. Uh, and I, I just don't see any value in, in going for it with all those risk factors. Um, I'm shining a mirror at you, mate. <laughs> Everything you just said, times by two, plus um, the only other comment I'm going to give you, they've got uh, Williams, Jack, they've got Jack Williams, they've got Finnecane, they've got Rudolph, and they've got McInnes. So they've got four four locks and a hooker. I'm not sure where he's going to fit in for 60, let alone 80, so... Everything you said plus that, isn't that? So you surprised me a little bit. I thought that you, because you were a bit of a fan of McInnes before his ACL injury, so I thought that you might have jumped back on because the price was a bit lower now, but it's a bit adjusted because he didn't play last yeah, year. But, yeah, but if he was playing 80 minutes without that injury at the Dragons, 100%, but he's not, and he's got the injury, and he's in a new team where three other guys play his position, so no. <laughs> he's coming in off the off-season, you know, starting up the first podcast. We're agreeing way too much. It's crazy. But I'll take it because I'm a big believer in my McInnes call for this. I don't think that he's going to be someone that you want to start with for round one. I, I just think you're finally coming to your senses. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Um, look, it's with the with the rotation, it, it is an interesting point, um, and it goes into a bit of a potential value by question mark in Fanukan. But I think that what they're going to do is start McInnes at 13, and I think Fanukan and Rudolph are going to be the starting props. 
and that's how they're going to do it. Um, and I do think that Fanukin and Rudolph are both going to get decent minutes as well. They're going to have someone like Ueli off the bench. Then maybe some other guys, like maybe a Talakai off the bench to help in the middle as well as an edge replacement. Uh, and I think that's kind of going to be how the rotation pans out. But what it means is if you've got, if you are going to give your props, say, 55 minutes a game, which Fanukin and Rudolph probably need to get, then yeah, Cam McInnes just can't mathematically even get 80 minutes a game at 13, I don't think, um, with the rotation that you have to have. So there's that as well. But let's talk about uh, Fanukin because you're, you're a bit of a fan, and he's come over from the Melbourne Storm on a big deal to try and instill some leadership and some veteran play that's going to inspire the Sharks forwards. And he comes over as a very uninspiring super coach option. Okay? Now... Again, for the first time, listeners, on this podcast, we will not just talk about all the top options and, you know, we will talk about most of every team because we want to make sure that we comb over everything with a fine-tooth comb. We want to talk about everyone because you never know. Maybe you can find some gold in there. Maybe there's some um, strategies where you might want to employ in draft where somebody might be a target for you. So we'll talk about everyone. But Fanukin is coming off 47 points a game last year. He did that in 54 minutes a game, which was his lowest for a few years. Um, when you look at the two years before, I think it's really interesting because in 2020, he was playing 57 minutes a game. 2019, it was 59 minutes a game. And he basically averaged a 56-point mark across those couple of years. That could be what he's looking at at the Sharks. If he is looking at around the 56, 57-minute range in the Sharks, then maybe he's seven or eight points undervalued. Particularly when you've got six secondary forward spots that you need to fill out. He's only $414,000. He could easily make 100K. Might be a bit of a slow burner, but he could if he's going to get more towards, you know, high 50s in minutes. And certainly with a new club and a point to prove and everything and being the the forward leader, uh, maybe that can happen. And, you know, it's going to be meat and potatoes. He might only average 55, 56 points a game. But again, for value on that average, um, there might be a way to, to fill out your forward pack and not get bad scores there as well and make 100k over the course of maybe six, seven weeks. Yeah, look, he's obviously come over for a reason. I think he goes all right. But um, uh, looking at his numbers, he, does, he doesn't really seem to increase his score. When he, when he increases minutes, he kind of regresses. So I think his sweet spot is basically going to be around what he was pretty much getting at the Storm. Um, the only difference is um, the Storm have that much attack um, and success in, inside their team. They probably don't do as much work with the pigs in the middle. So I reckon he probably increases uh, a few points per game with the, with the amount of work he's actually going to have to do with the Sharks. Um, maybe he does a little bit more for the team. But, um, yeah, I think him and Rudolph kind of work well together in the middle. Um, but the, the only one I'm really kind of interested in the Sharks, you're right, is that sort of Talakai, but I don't think he's going to get a starting spot. So I think he's the kind of smoky, but more of a wait, wait, wait and pick your moment to get him and he might be that sort of one to sort of uh, pencil in when someone gets injured or COVID, COVID strikes. I think he's the iPad for this year when the prices are up. Yep. Agree there. Uh, I'm I'm not going to get Fanukin myself, but I could see a bit of value there. Uh, certainly these next guys, though, the big balls pod category and going to be a bit of a risk, but might pay off. One of them I, I've always really liked. The other guy I've always really not liked. Let's talk about the guy I have really not liked that I've spoken to so many people about over the years, and that is Jesse Ramian. He actually came out and had a pretty good year last year. Um, after his 2017, where he scored 74 points a game and everyone started calling him a gun for several years afterwards, he went 53, 45, and 46 points of three years after that. 
Uh, he came in 2021 and actually did really well, scoring 63 points a game. So he did quite a workout last year. One of the things that didn't work out is, you know, one of, one of my other big points with him is he never plays a full season. The last four years, he's played either 17 or 18 games. He's always missed a bunch of games. Last year was no different. You got one game out of him round one, and he missed three games. Then you got three games out of him. Then he missed one game. Then you got one game out of him. Then he missed two games. Then he had a bye. Um, so for the first half of the season, he didn't string more than three games together. Uh, and he missed half of his games. And and that is Jesse Ramey in a nutshell, and it's why I'm, I'm never really a big fan. Uh, and he doesn't really score a huge amount of tries, and his attack can be down. His base and base attack's great. Um, his base raw 33 for a centre wing is nice. Uh, and his tackle breaks is fantastic. Terrible hands, which you would have seen in real life footy with how many drops he got last year and uh, how many times his teammates were <laughs> puzzled at how he could drop a ball with the line open. But... Coming off a good season last year, Billy, he's going to warrant some interest. People are going to look at Jesse Ramian, but not enough for him to be more than a pod. I'm really against him as a pod. I think there's huge risk. I think he can be out a lot. I expect him to be much worse than 63 points a game again anyway, which is what he was the three years before, probably at about a 53 sort of average. Uh, where do you kind of see Jesse Ramian as a center wing purchase for this season? Um, surprisingly, with you again, <laughs> I think he's a... Yeah, look, I think you're talking sense issue, mate. Um, <laughs> 550,000 is priced at as well. For yeah, look, week. I can't remember. Is is it this guy or, or Mulatalo, which is um, Catfish's uh, baby? I think it's this guy here, is it? No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't recall, actually. Uh, There's I, a I lot of I... Ramian fans out there, especially a lot of closet ones that like to get his poster out when he's going well. Yeah, I think Caddy's done a couple sort of pod moves on him in the past. I think he's... I think, apologies if I'm wrong, Captain Wilfred, but um, yeah, I think uh, it's it's one of these two guys that have the tackle busting, line breaking ability when they're on, but it's it's so they have a high ceiling, but it's those games where they they really really peak pretty quickly and then all of a sudden come back to reality, like you said, poor hands or hands for feet, rely on the draw, and um, from what you were saying, I knew he didn't, I knew he missed a few games here and there, but I wasn't aware how consistently he missed it, so like you are saying, if you get him in for like a, a big 120 or 130, all of a sudden, if you're going to have a $550,000 player sort of missing and have to play a bomb, then it basically offsets um, the value of having him, so yeah, I think you're right on the money there, 50 to 55 average again. Um, does Hines have anything to do with that? Maybe that's another factor there, but does Hines have anything to do with that from round one? Yeah. I, I, I'd actually put this one in the trial watch category before saying no. See, Militalo and Katoa both had some good runs last year. Um, Katoa is somebody that I've liked for quite some time. And he's certainly going to be a pod. He's certainly someone that can take advantage and score multiple tries against teams um, if the Sharkies are, are rolling in the attack. He he finished last year, the last three games of last year, he scored um, five tries in his last three games. He scored a double against the Tigers for 101 points. He scored a try against the Broncos for 79 points. And he scored a double against the Storm for 90 points. So he is someone who can score a heap of tries in bunches. He had three games out of his 13 that were doubles. And he scored a huge amount of tries for the year, considering how he scored 13, 13 games because of his injury in the mid-season. So he's also someone who normally has a good base, in retrospect, relative to a winger. Um, his base was 21 last year. It's normally a bit better than that. Base attack is where it can be at. So he's someone who can get three offloads a game, eight tackle brass, 
a try and you know 18 runs and you get a massive score out of it. You know, that's something that Katoa has shown us before. I think that their draw has some real merit. Certainly the Dragons, Knights and Tigers, that round three to five area, he could score really well. But it's probably not quite good enough for me to take a, a plunge on him. He's 505,000. And yeah, if he was 400,000, I'd have him straight in my side. I, I do think that there's always a chance for Sione Katoa to have like a, you know, a pretty much a prime Sevo type of run when Sevo was really primed. Um, and I'm not going to say a semi radra I'm going to say maybe a semi radra baby, a junior semi. That might, you know, maybe something like that. A Tonka truck, what you say. Tonka truck. Tow truck? Tonka? <laughs> Tonka. But Tonka. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Look, he's one of those guys that has, has a, a decent decent, a decent enough price point that you can probably take a risk on, but um, the upside probably offsets the um, the potential reward, given the, the amount of money that you would actually spend on him. I'd much rather go a complete sort of um, rookie, even at the yields, as opposed to someone like him, because I think that extra 300k, 350k can be pretty much used elsewhere. But the only other thing that to add there is a 50 average isn't bad. If you can get, if you can guarantee that you're going to get 50, uh, 50 average or a high, a highish sort of floor of 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 um, someone in the semi three quarter position, and there's a risk of uh, much of a of a pod reward, then it's not the worst. I mean, it is seven three quarter. You're not going to get a seventy average from those guys. So he's not the worst, but it's just more of a riskier option than, than you know, get, getting a one one premium gun like Brian two zero and then going full base, well, full rookie. Yeah, yeah. I think he's just that little bit more expensive, but I, I would have him on a watch a watch list. Um, if you end up needing a centre wing, he might be someone that's firing, and he could be someone that puts together a bit of a breakout season potentially, especially under a coach like Fitzgibbon if they really fire the attack up. So I'm definitely watching him and in draft. And he he killed it for me in draft last year when I picked him up mid-season off, off the waiver wire, and I loved it. So definitely watch for him in draft. You'll get him real late as a centre wing, and, and he'll be someone that will definitely outperform his draft position for you, I'm sure. Mate, the best smoking in our team is actually their coach. If he chucks on a jersey, whoa. Oh, don't get me started on old Fitzgibbon. I'll, I'll, I'll throw up... <laughs> I'll throw up videos, we'll, we'll review games and everything from the old Roosters days. We've got to stop there, uh, we've got to move on. Um, cheapies and mids. Can I just say that I'm, I kind of understand it, but then, you know, a little bit surprised at the same time. There's a lot of teams that are throwing Andrew for feeder in. He's 205,000, <laughs> so I, I understand I why. Okay? I, can't, I can't understand it. 205,000, I get it. But what I've said, this, I've had this discussion with a few people already. He's not going to make the 17 anyway, I'm pretty sure. But if he does make the 17, he's going to be coming off the bench playing very limited minutes. So the reality is you might be starting him to to get an AE nightmare who could get dropped out of the side many times and who might make 60K in you know three months or something potentially because he's not playing enough. So I get that there's no front row forward options, um, but you know he played six games last year. He played 16 minutes a game in those games, and he averaged 21 points a game. He's 33, I think. Um, he, he's just, and he's obviously been quite injured for a few years now. He, he's not going to give you anything. Like you, you may as well have a guy that might play down the track and get decent minutes and put in Andrew Fafita for me. The only time that I would put him in if is in if Fitzgibbon says he's going to play 35 minutes off the bench. 
um, then all of a sudden you might be able to see some value um, because he's going to more than double his minutes and his output then and you'll make some money. But, you know, you'd have to be pretty sure that he's got a spot in the rotation and he's one over Fitzgibbon. Yeah, mate, best case scenario for Sharkies, and I hope nothing happens to him, but would be sort of medical retirement and they get that money off their books. This is his last year too, I think, so, I mean, at least it's an expiring contract, but someone that I like more as a mid-option rather than cheapy, but for to, to plug some holes in, very risky, but when we're looking at mids and, um, and cheapies, very few of them are sure things. Wade Graham, he... Looked like he might have ended up losing his career last year, unfortunately, with the multiple head knocks and having to take 50% of the season off and not playing since round 14. Um, subsequently had his, his worst season ever at 40 points a game. A lot of injury-affected games in there. Uh, one where he only played 14 minutes, one where he only played 18 minutes, and one where he only played 27 minutes. So three out of his 11 games that he actually suited up for were 27 minutes or less. What that means, though, is it starts to present a little bit of value. Now, by all reports, Wade Graham is 100% fit and healthy, ready to go for round one. He's the type of player that I think Fitzgibbon will like. Um, he's obviously captain of the side. So if he is fit and healthy, obviously he's always going to have the the injury cloud hanging over him. Okay, that, that might happen. But just looking at him, if he's fit and healthy and ready to go round one, he's only $355,000. And he's a second-row forward that's going to play 80 minutes a game has a pretty decent draw for the first five weeks of the season. So when we're looking at filling in the guts, Billy, in a bit of value, um, particularly if we find that there's no Ford cheapies that are starting and very few Ford mids that are starting, you're going to have to plug in the holes with some of these guys. Uh, Wade Graham might be an option. In fact, I'm going to say he's one that I'm considering and I'm tossing up. Yeah, he's not the worst. And you've got to remember, I think there was a, a couple of games, there was a game or two a couple of years ago where he had like a massive score as well. So... He knows how to put it together when um, when a game's on the line or or when luck puts him over the line. Um, but just looking at his numbers, so one injury game, two injury games, three, four injury games. So three, three, three definite injury games and potential probably early resting of almost sort of 70 minutes um, in the space of half a season. So not exactly the healthiest bloke in the world. Let's have a look at Talakai quickly. Does Is Talakai the... Guaranteed, like, is he the one that sort of comes in if Graham if Graham goes down? Yeah, he probably will. Uh, I wouldn't say guaranteed, but look, Talakai will be on the bench um, if he's starting. Though, if at any point Talakai is starting, uh, then I think he becomes an immediate purchase. He's probably priced exactly at the, at the sweet spot if you really need someone to 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 start your team um, to yep. plug a spot. And not that you would actually hope that Graham gets injured, but if Graham actually does go down, he's the one that benefits straight away going to the edge spot where he has a propensity to score a lot better. Yeah, if Talakai's on an edge at any point, you definitely want to look at buying him. It, it would be pretty unlucky for Wade Graham to go down the first few weeks. So I think that if you started with him, you know, he at least should get you through the first few weeks. And, you you know, fingers crossed for Wade and also for Supercoach and also for the Sharks that he does get himself through. But, you know, if you look at the two years before last year, he's basically, you know, I'd, you guess that he's going to go out to a 55-point sort of year. And if that's the case, he's 15 points undervalued. And one of the he only scored one try. Yeah, he hasn't scored a lot. And, and uh, two real big factors for Wade Graham for next season. One of them is um, the spine that they've got just lost Chad Townsend and, and Sean Johnson, so they've lost two massively experienced halves, and they've replaced them with Nico Hines, who has a lot of responsibility on his shoulders and isn't going to be able to do everything. 
way Graham does play like another half on the field, and I think Fitzgibbon might lean on him, and that'll give him his playmaking. He'll probably do some general play kicks, which he normally does, but be a bit more involved. So that's going to work out quite well for Wade Graham, I reckon. I think that they're going to rely on him a fair bit for um, his attack and his leadership and stuff. So I I quite like him at his price. He's, he's probably going to be like a 55. The big thing is, with your round one team, you can't play 17 guns every week. Um, and you can't even play 13 guns. You're going to end up having to play guys at the end of your bench that aren't going to score well. So you might look at someone like Wade Graham and say, oh, like he's a 50-point plotter even when he's playing 80 minutes. That's fine. You know, if he's one of your reserves for your 17 in rounds 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, you need those guys. It is it, You really, really need those guys. So he's good value for that to start the season. If it was round 12, you wouldn't you wouldn't bother. But for round 1, he actually fits the bill quite nicely if he's healthy. Yeah, and worst-case scenario, if he does go down and you need a trade to someone... You know, so you know his replacement is going to be cheaper and available straight away. Yeah, and you could easily go way down to Talakai very, very easily. It's just a shame that Talakai lost his centre wing eligibility for this year because that was really handy last season. Yeah, they don't muck around with the value, do they? <laughs> so finishing up on the Sharks, mate. Number one Sharks purchase uh, for me it is Hines by a mile, and I'm going to think that you're probably the same. Yeah, I'm not far behind you at all. Yep. Well. That's the first podcast of 2022 wrapped up and done and dusted. Billy, thank you for jumping on. We're going to get you on for some other preseason ones as well. Bit of a rotation. Sounds good, mate. I'm sober too. Yeah, you have a beer for the next one, mate. But <laughs> until then, guys, make sure you dump, jump on Twitter. We really need uh, the followers to jump on there and give us a follow. NRL underscore SC underscore all stars. Find us on Twitter there. Certainly, you can download the podcast everywhere, but definitely on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify, the popular places. Do look at Top Sport if you are going to have a responsible gamble. They are a great sponsor of the All-Stars podcast. Use the SC All-Stars promo code. They'll take really good care of you. We're going to be putting out one of these every week. So next week, there'll be a brand new episode with a new guest on with me and a couple of different teams that we're going to preview. But until then, play around with the team picker. Have lots of fun. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Get paid.